Well, before I get started, I wanted to say a couple of things. One, um, as John Mitchell mentioned, we are going through a a difficult time, and um, I am so thankful for the ministry of this community and the prayers that have surrounded us, so I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful to be part of receiving ministry. I'm also grateful that I get to jump in and do some little things in ministry also, and one of the things that I get to do is I serve on a a, a tiny creative team, and one of our jobs is to brainstorm different uh, series, sermon series possibilities. And uh, so I just want to go on record as saying I was totally against this sermon series. For the prophets. And I, I, I thought, you know, they're, they're weird, they're hard, they say grumpy things, they're hard to understand. This is summer in Minnesota, I want something uplifting. <laughs> I, figured, I figured by this time, um, I figured by this time we would have preached everybody out of the uh, congregation. So the fact that you're here either means that you are really spiritual or you're gluttons for punishment. But I'm glad that you're here and I really am excited to talk about the prophet this morning. The other thing uh, that might be a little confusing is usually uh, the sermon comes after the offering and uh, it has not happened yet. We will be collecting your gifts um, for the ministry here in a minute, but I wanted to do a little introduction first. And so um, I want to ask you, um, have you ever had somebody say something a little bit embarrassing or uncomfortable, speak a truth to you? Maybe your spouse turned to you and said, "Uh, honey, maybe a little breath mint might be a good idea, or a little gum. Or maybe you're sitting at lunch with a friend and they go, spinach. In your teeth, or somebody tells you that you have your fly unzipped or something like that. You know, there there are little things where people bring to our attention blind spots. And it may be a little bit embarrassing, it may be a little uncomfortable, but there are other times when people speak truth to us and it can be life-changing. These are crucial conversations. And I want to share this morning about a life-changing conversation that I had. Actually, somebody who spoke truth to me, and it was huge. Years ago, when I had just graduated from college, I was back in the Chicago area, and I was dating a young man named Rick who was not a Christian. And I would describe him as a very intellectual, a seeker. He was asking a lot of questions about life and faith, but he was very much a humanist too. He was thinking, you know, we're going to get to God through our own effort, through our own intellect. And we had very stimulating discussions, and I was... convinced that God was going to use me, he was going to become a Christian, he was going to come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but he kept deflecting and deflecting. And we had dated for about six months and became more and more serious. Uh, And another, a friend of mine came into town from college, a guy that I knew who was a close friend, and I went to O'Hare Airport to pick him up. I was driving home with him, and we're talking and catching up, and I'm going on and on about this guy that I've been dating and this and that, and and finally got to a pause in the conversation, and there was silence, and my friend said, Laura, I love you as a brother in Christ. You know I love you as a brother in Christ, and that's why I need to say this hard thing to you. He said, I've been listening to you say over and over again, you know, how you feel and this and that, but I want you to think about what you know. 
And you know that God says in his word that we're not to be joined with unbelievers. And it sounds like this relationship is getting more serious and leading towards marriage. And so I just wonder if this is really God's best for you. So I would encourage you to reflect and to pray about this and maybe consider that this isn't God's best for you. So I did. I I knew that this came from a place of love, and I prayed about it for two weeks, and I just felt torn apart. But in the end, I did break up with this guy. And as I look back on that conversation and that hard truth that was spoken to me, it is God's greatest protection in my life. You know, that John and I now have been married almost 32 years, and it is just, I cannot imagine uh, more joy or love or the privilege of being able to partner with somebody like him in ministry. So that was a really big deal for me. Whether it is uh, a small conversation where someone's telling truth or a life-changing one, think about in your own life, those times when people have spoken truth to you. Maybe you can think back on a time where there was a breakup or you got fired or someone just said, hey, I think maybe you have a blind spot here. I love you and, and, and maybe you're not aware of it, but, and said something hard for you to hear. I've asked Becky to to sing a special song for our offering this morning, and I'd encourage you, while she's singing it, um, to both listen to the words and think back on some of the conversations that you've had in your life. You can be amazing, you can do a phrase into a weapon or a drug. You can be the outcast or be the backlash of somebody's lack of love. Or you can start speaking up Nothing's gonna hurt you the way the words do When they settle underneath your skin Kept on the inside and no sunlight Sometimes a shadow wins But I wonder what would happen If you say what you wanna say And let the words fall
you so much. Some great lyrics there. I want to see you be brave. Let your words be anything but empty. Why don't you tell them the truth? We're in this series on the prophets, and the prophets were truth-tellers. Many of them had messages for the whole nation of Israel, but the prophet that we're looking at today had a very personal message, one-on-one, for the king of Israel. It's great because we can learn a lot from it, I think. It was a crucial conversation. And crucial conversations are when someone speaks a hard truth to you or you speak a hard truth to someone else. But both situations require humility and courage. Now today, we're looking at the crucial conversation between Nathan the prophet and King David after he had had his affair with Bathsheba. Nathan was a prophet during the reign of both David and King Solomon. He had a huge influence on David's life. He told David not to build the temple that he wanted to build, but instead let his son Solomon build it. He also told David that his reign would endure, for, be established forever. But lastly, he spoke this truth to David that we're going to talk about today. Now you all remember the story of David and Bathsheba, but a little bit of backstory first. David is in a bit of a midlife slump. Things are going well in the kingdom, but he's about 50 years old, and maybe he's not quite as attractive as he once was. He's sitting at home while his troops are out fighting the Ammonites. Maybe he's a little bit bored, and he's sitting and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. He sends for her, he sleeps with her, he gets her pregnant. And when he finds out, he brings her husband Uriah home from the front to try to manipulate the the situation and make him believe that he's the father of the baby. When that doesn't work, David uses his right-hand man, Joab, to take Uriah back out into the field and get him killed. When Uriah is killed, David mourns for the required seven days, marries Bathsheba, and they have a son. Now, at this point, David has broken at least four of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Don't covet, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie. He's in kind of a bad place. And my friend Steve Mater pointed out, and I I think this is so important to hear too, this is a bigger deal than maybe adultery, as serious as adultery is, because it was a power play. When David called Bathsheba to come to him, do you think she felt like she had any choice in the matter? Could she say no to to the king, to this person in power? And yet, my impression of David with breaking all these commandments and doing this power play is that to him it's just kind of an inconvenient blip blip on his radar screen. He hasn't named the sin. He's just doing damage control. So this is where we pick up our scripture this morning. Uh, After David's affair with Bathsheba. And as we read it, I want you to just ask yourself, what can you observe maybe about David? God, and what can you observe about ourselves? What can we learn about ourselves? So this is 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent David or Nathan to David. Nathan said to him, there were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep, herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but a poor little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of his family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, a traveler dropped in on the rich man. 
he was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. So in this parable, David is the wealthy man who has taken the lamb, Bathsheba, from Uriah, the poor man. But David doesn't recognize himself at first. Isn't it so much easier to see the sin in someone else's life than to see it in our own? You're the man, Nathan says. Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against God. Nathan pronounced, yes, but that's not the last word. God forgives your sin. You won't die for it, but because of your blasphemous behavior, the son born to you will die. Now last week when John talked about prophecy, he talked about the three different levels. He talked about the actual event that happens. He talked about the written word about it. And then he talked about what we read now years later and that the transferable principles from that. And I want to say a little bit more about that because this prophecy is contained in a type of scripture called narrative. And when we read narrative, we need to keep something very important in mind. Narratives are descriptive, not prescriptive. They're stories about what happened. They describe what happened, but they don't prescribe what necessarily should happen. This is a positive example. So it describes something positive that we can learn from in a good way, but it is also not saying we need to go out and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. It describes something it doesn't say exactly the way it should be. So um, just something to keep in mind. Now, as we look at this, there are four things that I think that maybe we can learn from this passage uh, about God and about ourselves. So we want to look at those. The first thing is this. We are masters at rationalization. We are masters at rationalizing our sin and turning a blind eye to the sin in our lives. There is a verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, that says, The heart is deceitful above all things. That can be a really discouraging verse for me. I need help with that. When David first hears the story, this story, he doesn't even recognize himself. We need help. Now, in the last few years, I've taken up two new sports, uh, running and tennis. And with both of these sports, they really require somebody outside of yourself to tell you how you're doing and to help you get better, right? I want to share with you a picture of my running, what my running might be like. Up at the top is what I feel like I look like. Oh, yeah. But at the bottom is what I'm pretty sure I actually look like. Not a pretty thing. It's hard to really see ourselves as we are. The same thing with, with tennis. You know, I, I, I'm a beginner. I try hard. I'm trying to get better. And I have wonderful coaches. And they'll say, Laura, you know, you may not realize it, but the angle of your racket is a little off. Or you need to put your foot a little bit more on your back, put your weight a little bit more on your back foot, this or that. And it's really helpful. They're seeing things that I can't see. 
So, first of all, easy to rationalize and turn, to, turn a blind eye to our sin. The second thing is that God longs for us to recognize and acknowledge what's really going on in our life. In verse 1, it says, God sent Nathan. I believe this was a loving act on the part of a loving God. He sent Nathan to David. Now, the role, one of the roles of the prophets is to convict people of sin. But today, in addition to prophets, we have the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness. Now, I believe that, this, that God's desire is this plan A, that we would really be responsive and sensitive to the nudging of the Holy Spirit when we have sin in our lives. But I think that the Holy Spirit can also be something like a cell phone that we sometimes put on silent or stick in our pocket and forget about it. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit also uses a prophet in our, in our lives, a person to get our attention. So we rationalize, God longs for us to recognize And third, sometimes we're Nathan, and sometimes we're David. Sometimes we have to speak the hard truth, and sometimes we have to hear the hard truth. But in both roles, we need courage and humility. In the role of Nathan, we need the courage to speak up when it would be easier to remain silent. But we also need the humility to go with a posture of recognizing our own sin and our own fallibility and our own, the fact that we also have blind spots. Now, David responds really well to Nathan in this situation. But later on in scripture, there's a situation where David's son sins and David has a chance to speak truth to his son Amnon and he doesn't. He doesn't take on the role of a Nathan like he could, and it is so destructive in his family. I can relate. I had a situation where I was called on to be a Nathan, and I failed terribly. Years ago, many years ago, I was friends with a woman and a man, and both of them were married, and we were spending time together, and we were spending time in ministry, and we even traveled together. And I began to recognize that this man and this woman, apart from their spouses, were becoming closer and closer. And I I noticed an emotional bond developing there. And I thought, oh, gosh, I wonder if if this is dangerous. And um, I wonder if maybe I should say something to my friend, the woman. And, and, And then I rationalized, and I thought, oh, but, you know, maybe I'm crazy. Or maybe, what if she gets really mad at me? What if she's really offended? And I didn't say anything. Well, a year later, it came out that they had had an affair and both marriages were reeling from it. And when I heard this, I just, I cried because I thought, I felt like there was some responsibility on my part. I had not stepped up and stepped in as lovingly as I could to be a Nathan in that situation. And maybe some of that heartache and sin could have been avoided. But... The role of Nathan needs to be accepted very carefully. I knew this teenage kid once that he would walk around saying, I rebuke you. That's not not exactly what we're talking about here. (laughs) 
So we need to note that Nathan had a loving, trusting relationship with David. They had a history. Nathan was not an enemy with an axe to grind with David. Now, I recognize that sometimes we're called on to speak the truth to power, where there's not really a relationship there. There's been an injustice done, and we need to say something. But I think that ideally, God's ideal is for us to step into situations and speak the truth in love where there is a very loving, trusting relationship there. So I would say, if you feel like maybe you're being called to be a Nathan in someone's life, I'd encourage you to pray about it and to ask yourself two questions. First of all, ask yourself, what's my motivation for doing this, really? If there is any sense at all of pleasure or self-righteousness, putting someone else down, step away. And the second question I'd encourage you to ask yourself is, what's the very best thing that can come from this conversation? What's the redemptive value that might come from this? So that's if maybe we're called to be a Nathan, but what if we're the David in this scenario? What if we're on the receiving end of a crucial conversation? Proverbs 15, 31 and 32 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Again, we need courage and humility to receive correction. What's your first reaction when someone says something a little bit critical to you? I don't know about you, but... Well, first of all, I'm a firstborn, and so often I think uh, there's a reaction of fear, like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Sometimes there's anger. There is defensiveness, maybe. Maybe you can recognize some of these reactions in yourself. And I think for all of us, when we are, when somebody says something hard to us, we need to stop and step back and take a breath and pray And ask God to show us what of truth is in this. What do you want me to pay attention to here? What is valid here? And how should I respond? So we're masters at rationalizing. God desires us to see us ourselves for who we really are. Sometimes we're a Nathan, sometimes we're a David. But the last thing, and I think the most important, is failure isn't fatal. Failure isn't fatal. God is just and merciful. When David hears Nathan's story before he recognizes himself, he says, oh my gosh, that guy deserves death. And then Nathan Nathan says, you're the guy I'm talking about. Whoa. When it sinks in, David takes responsibility. He says, oh, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan tells David that there will be consequences, but also that he will be forgiven. This is the Old Testament In the New Testament, we have another prophet, the perfect prophet, Jesus, God incarnate who comes and lives and tells the truth and lives the truth and dies for us and lives again so that we can come to him with whatever and ask forgiveness and be in a forever relationship with him. We are all, David, all broken, all blind, all in need of help. Like David, we need to see the truth and turn to God. And when we do, he is full of mercy and compassion, waiting to forgive us. 
really cool thing is, in addition to this narrative account, we have what happened afterwards. We have David's words to God written in the Psalm 51. I've asked some friends to come and read some stanzas of this. And as they do, they'll read a little bit and leave some time of silence. And I want you to reflect and maybe speak your own words of truth to God in the silence. What you might need to say to God in confession. Look on me. Look at me with a heart of mercy, O God. According to your generous love, according to your great compassion, wipe out every consequence of my shameful crimes. Thoroughly wash me, inside and out, Wash me of all my crooked deeds. Cleanse me from my sins. fully aware of all I have done wrong, and my guilt is there, staring me in the face. It was against you and only you that I sinned, for I have done what you say is wrong right before your eyes. So when you speak, you are in the right. When you judge, your judgments are pure and true. For I was guilty from the day I was born, a sinner from the time my mother became pregnant with me. But still, you long to enthrone truth throughout my being. In unseen places deep within me, you show me wisdom. Cleanse me of my wickedness, and I will be clean. If you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore within me a sense of being brand new. Do not throw me away from your presence, and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Give back to me the deep delight of being saved by you, and let your willing spirit sustain me.
1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as Nathans and Davids, broken and in need of eyes to see and ears to hear the truth about ourselves. Help us to speak the truth graciously. Help us to hear and acknowledge our sin and turn to you for forgiveness. Thank you that you are full of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.